can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. My, 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 my music hits me so hard. Makes me say, oh my Lord, thank you for blessing me. What am I doing? Hey everybody, welcome to Stop Homer Time, <laughs> a subsidiary podcast of Overdue, a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. Wow, that's a mouthful, huh? Yeah, well, we'll workshop it. Don't worry. This is the <laughs> okay. first in a premium podcast experience. A limited release, small batch podcast. Craft podcasting is the new craze, and we are doing that for you. Um, we are going to tackle... Homer's The Odyssey in a new translation by Emily Wilson, a few books at a time until we're done. Yep, that's and the deal. If you are listening to this, uh, like as we're recording them, which will be every month, then you must be one of our wonderful Patreon supporters. And if you are listening to a batched recording of them, uh, you can. F- I don't Is that the term? Like we're going to group them together. <laughs> right, yeah. And then release them on the main feed as bonus episodes intermittently. Um, so if you're listening to one of those, you can head to patreon.com slash overduepod to find out how to get these uh, as they come out. Yeah, you freeloaders. Hey, everybody's got to get in somewhere. We're just going to show them <laughs> the next door to the cooler party room. You're stealing our content if you listen to it without paying for it. I just want you to know that you're you're hurting us when you do that. <clears throat> I my favorite thing about the law is that it knows when everyone is joking. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite thing about legal precedent. So yeah, right. Like every every lawyer's argument is like they're just joking, and the judge is like, "All right, well, can't disprove it." Well, that knife was certainly a joke. Um, yeah. So stop, Homer. Time. We're it's gonna, gonna be. Yeah, it's we had the idea when we were sitting in a bar, <laughs> so. That should tell you something about how it's going to go. Yes. But um, we wanted to do some more bonus, because we used to do bonus episodes every month, and now we do them every other month, but we wanted to do something more, and this seems like a way to to give a, a work that deserved a lot of time, mm-hmm. or would take a lot of time, a, a, a lot of time. Yeah. And actually kind of dive a little bit deeper into individual stuff than our episodes usually go. Yeah, I feel like if we did one episode on the Odyssey, it would stink. Or it would at least be not as satisfying as it this would, experience would, might be. I mean, we did do Infinite Jest in one, but it also took two and a half hours. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so, I um. So, have you read the Odyssey before? Yes. I know the normal rules like don't apply. No, we're just out here. We're just out here freewheeling. Um, yeah. I did actually read the Odyssey for assigned reading in high school, and I have, I have worked on and seen production like stage adaptations of the Iliad um but I think I've only read the Odyssey once like that first time I was supposed to you were a classics major in college I was so a classics did you read this major. like 30 times is that I how it read works? it I feel like I read it actually read it like maybe three times and then every time I had to read it after that I would just kind of read the cliffs notes to remind myself what happened yeah. because yeah, once you take this book apart more than a couple times, you kind of know in the space of a 40-minute class about it what is going to come up. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. And you just need to know which book is which. Book is which. So, um, yeah, the, the 
Odyssey is split up into 24 books, I believe, which is the same number of books as the Iliad. It's more or less a sequel to the Iliad. Like there is debate as to whether the same person wrote we'll get in, both yeah, of them. Yeah. yeah, we'll get into Homer a little bit. But um I don't know. I I like the Odyssey better. I mm. think it's more fun. And also uh Wilson had just come out with this translation like a couple months ago, I think, and and I was eager to read it because all the translations that I've read are like standard college white dude translations. So uh Richard Richmond Lattimore is the translation I have on my desk here. Um, Robert Graves is a name you might recognize. You might recognize Robert Fitzgerald. Yeah, yeah. Um, Who do, whose Iliad do I have? I have I have the Fagel's Iliad. I don't know if he did an Odyssey. I wouldn't be surprised if he did. Um, but yeah, and so this we'll we'll be talking about Wilson's translation today. The goal is to talk a little bit about Homer, the background of this particular translation, and then cover Book One. So that we can, you know, it'll be a bunch of cliffhangers. We don't normally do podcasts with cliffhangers, but think about that. So, (laughs) Andrew, who was Homer? I don't know. Yeah, nobody knows, actually. (laughs) Hundreds of years of scholarship about Homer have brought us to the conclusion, I don't know. And he, I, it sounds like I'm joking, but I'm not. <laughs> no, he right. He was maybe a blind bard from Turkey. He may or may not have lived wherever Troy was. Um, we th- we think that the recordings, the original recordings, and not the audio recordings, but like someone wrote it down of these poems were like maybe seventh eighth century BC in the Balkans, and it didn't get. You mentioned the twenty four books thing, Andrew. They. I don't think that happened until people started actually like writing it and disseminating it as a text. Right. No, like yeah. th- that's an arbitrary split because of the oral tradition. Yeah, it's a, it's an arbitrary split, but also like you would never even even as this was being read orally, which is it's which is where it comes from. It was originally a, an oral composition, and then it was yeah, like you said, um, compiled and written down at some point seven seventh or eighth century BCE. Um, like, you would never go somewhere and hear the whole Odyssey. No, that's true. <laughs> it would Buckle be split up. up. It would be split up into a bunch of smaller components anyway. Sure, and ditto, that's a good point. ditto for the Iliad. So good point. Though um, it's like the split is kind of artificial. It also sort of reflects how it would have been heard. I think. Yeah, that's a good point. And um, these, it also would have been heard by people who were really intimately familiar with this story. And so you're just kind of going to see how the how the orator puts his spin on it, I guess. And um, the thing is that we we haven't answered the Homeric question as a civilization because we don't have time travel. We can't go back and know. So we don't know if it's a single genius a la Shakespeare, parentheses, he was one guy, come at me, anybody who disagrees, close parentheses. Um, or, Or was Homer basically all the poets who helped make this story largely as we know it, was it just the guy in front of the people who wrote it down that one Tuesday? Like, who knows? Um, was he like what the person was the person or group that did the Iliad and the Odyssey even the same? Like, there yeah, are true. similarities, mm-hmm. I think, in um, in language and structure that suggests that they were at least related, or maybe just that the the people who did the Odyssey were aware of the Iliad. Yeah, but also the like what had been written down. Yeah, but the the Greek doesn't like there's discrepancies in different Iron Age and Bronze Age technology. 
the it predates the classical Greek that we all kind of take for granted as it being part of a tradition of. Um, and then I found this was in the introduction to this edition, Andrew. There's a little bit of scholarship on a guy named Milman Perry, who in the 1930s traveled to Yugoslavia to research oral traditions of uh, some some Serb and Croat bards and found a lot of similarities to how this poem is structured. And I think this is where a lot of the scholarship. And then he had a he had a student named Albert Lord who continued this into into 1960, and that's the where we get a lot of the arguments for the oral tradition being part of the composition of the poem as opposed to just an authorship question. Right. I think the most accepted theory is that it was a like a like a scribe and a poet or like a group of scribes and poets kind of working together to get this thing uh recorded down. Yeah. And I think personally, that's what I think is the most likely thing. Yeah, I mean, it it could be that Homer was just a guy. Uh, like I said, I don't know, <laughs> but I've I just feel like I feel like that's not super likely. I guess no, it's probably not. Um, so there are other works that are maybe attributed to Homer. Obviously, the Iliad, which we've talked about. Um, lost titles that I found include the Contest of Homer and Hesiod, which maybe was destroyed because it was a little too Mary Sue-y and Homer put himself in the narrative. I don't know. Um, there's the Little Iliad. I love the pizza in the Little Iliad. The Little Iliad. <laughs> there's the Batracomachia, which is translated as the Frog Mouse War, which maybe was just a Redwall prequel. I don't know. It does know. sound like, kind of like a Redwall book. Um, all, say. all of this poetry is written in, in dactylic hexameter in its Greek. Um, there's lots of epithets, which we will talk about. Um, which are used often to fill the meter and, and anchor the song. Um, and then, Andrew, I found a little info on the sequel to the Odyssey, which is a lost poem about his son Telemachus. You know, I came across this and I had never... Oh, Telegonus, excuse me. I had never heard of it before. <laughs> and the fact that it had never come up in my like <laughs> classics major and also that it's lost makes me feel like it wasn't that good like maybe it was the the uh godfather part three of the sure (laughs) of the group (laughs) yeah it's about telogonus telogonus who is odysseus's son by circe um and like odysseus is out like this is after the the whole poem's over and odysseus is like fighting some stuff and telogonus is told his father's name whisked away to ithaca comes across him and like but they don't know each other, and he just like kills him, which fulfills some sort of prophecy. He kills Odysseus. Yeah. Okay. And it like fulfills some sort of like Odysseus would meet his death from the sea because like Telogenes was whisked there by the gods or something. And then it ends with Telemachus and Telogenes being like, "Yo, what's up, bro? This is all really sad." And then they marry each other's moms. <laughs> what? So that Telemachus this marries... This is the worst fan fiction I've ever read. <laughs> Telemachus marries Circe and Telogenes marries Penelope. And I guess everyone was happy at the end. That's, that sounds like the pits. No yeah. thanks. That's That went straight to DVD, I think. Uh, and then it yeah. was tossed in the garbage. <laughs> God. Okay. <laughs> what Do you want to talk uh, about Emily Wilson now, our, our translator for the day? Do you want to talk about anything else in classical poetry? 
Um, I mean, do you do you have some stuff on on Wilson, right? Yeah, I do. I followed her on Twitter recently, and I, f- I find her tweets interesting. Yeah, so. I imagine we will come back to some of them as we hit particular passages. There are a couple that she has spoken a lot about in different uh, interviews and that she's talking about on Twitter. Um, she's so, at Emily R.C. Wilson, I think, yeah. on Twitter. Um, so I imagine that it, it's going to be fun to do this translation, which is simultaneously like, you know, a millennia's, millennium's old book but also like a really fresh translation by an author that's getting a lot of acclaim and, and right and we can we can talk it. about that a little bit yeah too um, as we go so she's a british classicist and professor from uh who's currently working at university of pennsylvania here in philadelphia she studied at oxford got her doctorate from yale she was named a fellow of the american academy in rome in 2016 she also does book reviewing for a bunch of different places and is an editor for the norton anthologies of world lit uh, I saw that she recently did a translation of a couple Greek plays for for an edition by Random House, um, and then her her translator's note in this book is pretty great and got me like really jazzed to read this book. <laughs> like I was, yeah. Translator's notes are are fun because we we've read translated works a couple times on the show, and um, I think we like for, so for the Odyssey and the Iliad in particular. It's like I mean, it's kind of like the Bible. Like it's been yeah. translated a ton of times, and if you're gonna if you're gonna take it upon yourself to do it again, I think you have to ask yourself like, what am I, what am I adding beyond just kind of modernizing the language a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Um, and she talks a lot about being careful with word choice around like around the slaves in the book like she wanted to make it clear that they were slaves and not like maids or whatever like previous translations would have would have uh noted and she also you know the most of the translators of of this over the years have been white dudes which is like it is what it is um yeah she is she is renowned for being the the first known it's the first known full translation in english by a woman that yeah. is like so, the summary for this. Yeah, she she's tried to ignore some of the, I guess, I don't know if it's if I would call it like sexism, but some of the, like the implied sexism added by translators that was not in the original language. Yes, uh, and she also remarks on some of that with regards to like othering. And colonialism, she talks about not using the word savage when referring to the Cyclops um, because the original Greek did not have that veneer of uh, colonialism. Um, And so she finds other ways to express that because that would have been added by other translators. Yeah. Um, I also like that she points out that there's always this... um, a temptation to look for a quote unquote faithful translation. And I was really struck by, she just confronted that head on and called it the gendered metaphor that it is. And I was <laughs> sure. like, okay, yeah, that's really, that's really good. Like this, what is it? It's written in iambic pentameter, this translation, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. she wanted to embrace the music and rhythm of the language that she was writing in. Um, but it's also not like stuffy. Her word choice is very, contemporary she says i have tried to keep a register that is recognizably speakable and readable while skirting between the charybdis of artifice and the skill of slang <laughs> so 
Yeah, she's a, a good writer. To, huh? That's a reference to a couple of monsters we're probably not going to talk about for a few months, but we'll get there. Um, yeah, she says, all modern translations are equally modern. The question facing translators and their readers is whether to try to disguise this fact through stylistic tricks such as archaism and an elevated artificially literary register or to underline it and thereby encourage readers to be aware that the text exists in two different temporal and spatial moments at once. Um, and then the other interesting note that she made was um, usually translations, especially ones that are trying to be a little more literal. I think when people say faithful translations, I think what they might actually mean is literal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, when people try and stick to that, it usually adds like it adds more words. It just adds more length. Yes. And so she has tried to keep it to the same number of lines as the original. Which is what, like 12,000 lines something or something like, like that? that? I wish yeah. I had thought I had had that figure somewhere and I don't. But we have a, we have time to talk about it later. Um, um, yeah, which I think is really cool. She also, we, I mentioned the epithet thing earlier. She does not do uh, strict literal repeating of epithets in her translation. So epithets meaning like uh, when Athena is referred to as gray-eyed goddess or things like that. Um, which in an oral tradition... Rosy-fingered dawn is the yes. classic uh, one. Wine-dark seas and things like that. Um, for character-specific epithets, it's really useful in an oral tradition, in a semi-literate or illiterate uh, culture to uh, help guide the listener, right? Remind you of who people are and what they're up and like what they're up and up to is what I'm trying to say. Um, and she is like, hey, we are a pretty literate society and we don't necessarily need that because you're going to be sitting and reading my translation. So let me be a little freer with those epithets and kind of pick different ones for the same people that that highlight a particular element of a scene or something. Right. Like she, she draws this contrast. She says, like, in an oral tradition repetition and epithets and things are are useful they're functional they'd serve a clear purpose but in when they're written down they can come across as lazy they can Mm -hmm. um, encourage a reader to just kind of skip sections yeah yeah yeah. that was a good point that she made also yeah Um, she makes a lot of good points like i am i have not read i read her translator's note because you said it was good and then i read book one i haven't read her entire like uh intro down of of homer i've read part of it but not all of it but yeah. i am gonna go back when i have more time and read the rest of it because she's yeah. very good at breaking this stuff down and yeah like you said a good writer um and i i read as we trans you want to transition into talking about book one and i want one last thing about her oh, yeah. from her twitter to answer your questions she says Audible owns the rights, so yes, I hope there will be an audiobook of my Odyssey translation eventually. Yes, I am doing the Iliad, but please be patient. It will take many years. I am very sorry. I will post more kitten pictures soon. <laughs> okay. That's great. Okay. Um, I read some of this out loud as I was reading it, because I just like, she made such a strong case for it uh, in her translator's note that I was just like, what if... I just kind of slowly read it, not slowly, but like softly read it to myself in the same way that when I'm reading Shakespeare, either to prep to teach it or or work on it, like it is way easier for me to understand it if I am actually even quietly pronouncing the words. Um, so yeah, I was struck by how how easily it reads and flows, you know? Yeah, and to, to, um, to really 
bring that home. I wanted to like, why don't you read, um, read down to, do you have it pulled up? I do. I do. Okay. Read down to, uh, bring his men back home. And then I will read the same section from the Lattimore translation. That Oh, great. So thank you, Andrew, for letting me read the invocation of the muse. Here we go. Tell me about a complicated man. Muse, tell me how he wandered and was lost when he had wrecked the holy town of Troy and where he went and who he met, the pain he suffered in the storms at sea and how he worked to save his life and bring his men back home. So I like that a lot <laughs> because what I have to compare it to is is this. And I'm not, I'm not trying to dump on this necessarily, but you're going to hear why I like Wilson's more, I think. Tell me, muse, of the man of many ways who was driven far journeys after he had sacked Troy's sacred citadel. Many were those whose cities he saw, whose minds he learned of, many the pains he suffered in his spirit on the wide sea, struggling for his own life and the homecoming of his companions. Oh, it's just too much. It's so this is I think this is what she's talking about when she's talking about like artificially heightened language, right? Like it's it is I guess it sounds more quote unquote poetic. It also sounds more quote unquote epic, which right, she, which but she it's, points out in her intro, the Greek epos to get very like uh, matriculation speech. The Greek the word <laughs> epic derives from the Greek Webster's word Webster's dictionary <laughs> defines epic. The Greek word epos, which just means story. So it like there is to your point and to that chunk of chunky text you just read like there's a (laughs) there's a a, an attempt conscious or not to align it with what we think of as capital e epic language like it's mythic in proportion and she's like no just like muse tell me about the dude we need to hear about him tell me about this guy tell me about this guy um so yeah we are post now that we're getting into the actual book itself the story itself we are post Troy. We are post Battle of Troy, and Olympus—not uh, Olympus. I'm looking at the word Olympus. Odysseus didn't come home yet. He's still out. No, we don't so know where he's. He yeah, the the Trojan War lasted ten years, and Odysseus's wanderings have lasted another ten years. So it's been a full twenty years since Deuter's been home. Yeah, he went out for some milk and some cigarettes, and to win and a, a war, wooden horse. <laughs> <laughs> And so I didn't remember that this opening scene is like a party at Zeus's house. Did yeah, you... there's a little bit of <laughs> of God stuff because Athena is Odysseus's yeah. sort of guardian angel and sure. is always like flitting around and trying to trying to do right by him. But um, Odysseus, for reasons that we won't get into for a while, really made Poseidon mad, and because he's got to do a lot of sailing to get home. It's been slow going. Yes. Yeah, it's um, like uh, Poseidon was eating a bunch of stuff, and meanwhile, all the other gods were having a party, and Zeus and Athena get into it, and they're like, this is this stinks. This Like, Athena's like, we got to bring this guy home. Can we get him home? Like, he's just <laughs> he just wants to go home. Yeah, he's got no friends. He's trapped on this island. Like... We we should can we just do something about this? Now, to be fair, he has he is trapped on an island, but having sex with a beautiful goddess every day. Uh, that so, is like, true. <laughs> in terms of the time he is having, it could be worse. But I think he's yeah he's homesick. Yeah, 
Um, so the the first book is mostly table setting. So it's setting up this this um, strife between the gods and how it relates to Odysseus. Like it tells us about uh, like most of the we don't actually see Odysseus here. Not really. at all. Um, we are paying more attention to his son Telemachus, who is back home at Ithaca, watching a bunch of suitors try and get in with his mom. And yeah. in so doing, just like eating him out of house and home. Yeah, the one image I, I was struck by that uh, she she travels to Odysseus's court in Ithaca and she changes into Mentes or Mentis. Um, Mentes, it's fine. Who she becomes this like old man and she f- she finds the lordly suitors sitting on hides. They killed the cows themselves and playing checkers. So like they're just sitting around, you know, Eating all of Odysseus's stuff, playing his GameCube, playing his GameCube, listening <laughs> to his Jack Johnson CDs, mm-hmm. and not paying any attention. Like they're kind of being jerks to Penelope. They kind of hate Telemachus. Is there? I don't remember if there's like a reason given why Penelope is like letting them hang around in this book. I know well, Telemachus because... is mad about it. She's, you know, as as a woman in an ancient society, she's given kind of a limited number of things that she can do. Sure. Um, she is, I mean, she's, she's waiting for Odysseus, right? She yeah. wants him to come home. But if, like, assuming he's dead and he's not going to come home, she has to marry one of these guys. And mm-hmm. she is, she doesn't want to. And so she's basically stalling. Like stalling is all she can do. Sure. That's true. Okay. Um, and something, another thing that Wilson said about Penelope that, that she tried really hard to um, preserve is just that your, your, her motivations are often unclear and like mm. not made not made like obvious to you the reader like I, I don't know if it's just like straightforward love for Odysseus that that makes her wait for him or if she's got other motivations or what it is but yeah she is she's very crafty and clever in in the ways that she is putting these suitors off but a side effect of that is that they they are not going home until somebody marries her sure sure so Telemachus is excited to have mentees in his house because he hates all these jerks and Mentes purports to be a friend of his dad's and uh, Athena as Mentes is like, yep, love your dad. Uh, miss him a lot. I thought he was going to be here, but clearly he isn't. Um, <laughs> and I love at this one point, uh, Athena says, uh, he will devise a means of getting home. He is resourceful. Tell me now, are you Odysseus's son? You're so tall. Like <laughs> Athena's just like, yo, Telemachus, beefcake. Are you Odysseus's boy? Um, which butters him up and he's like yeah this whole situation stinks and I miss my dad and mostly hate these guys mad at my dad but miss him a lot I mean and Telemachus to be clear was a baby when Odysseus left yeah that's true because it's been 20 years so (laughs) Um, I thought I liked Telemachus's speech to the suitors just as a way to sum up what these jerks are doing to his house oh sure um Throughout the shadowy hall, the suitors clamored, praying to lie beside her in her bed. Telemachus inhaled, then started speaking. You suitors, you are taking this too far. 
Let us enjoy the feast in peace. It is a lovely thing to listen to a bard, especially one with such a godlike voice at dawn. Let us assemble in the square. I have to tell you this. It is an order. You have to leave my halls. Go dine elsewhere. Eat your own food or share between your houses. Or if you think it easier and better to ruin one man's wealth, and if you think that you can get away with it, go on. I call upon the gods. Zeus will grant vengeance. You will be punished and destroyed right here. So we're going from... (laughs) We're going from please... Please take your stuff and leave to, if you don't, the gods will destroy you. Well, and they're like, shut up, baby boy. Like, this, get out of here. We're not going to listen to you. What do you think about Telemachus? Because I got thoughts about him. Well, in this book, the, the moment that struck me is actually just before this speech. And so, like, we've had Athena... Tell him, yo, you got to go seek out the Achaeans. You got to go talk to Agamemnon and like. I think it's Achaeans. Ah, uh, I'm trying to. I'm trying to think back to how people pronounce things. I, in it's, school, I will cop to. It's stuck in my head from a production that I worked on, but I could also be wrong. So maybe you did it wrong. We might have. I didn't get any letters. Usually, I get letters about that stuff if I do it wrong. <laughs> um, so. Uh, Athena's like, you got to go talk to the dudes who who fought by your dad's side, um, figure this stuff out, get ready for him to come home. Um, and in a year, maybe your dad will be back. Um, and the bard that is performing for these jerks starts playing a song about all the dudes who died at Troy <laughs> and all the <laughs> Greeks that were that like made it home. And just as like Penelope comes downstairs and she's like, could you please stop playing the song that reminds me of my husband who might be dead? Like, could yeah. you keep it down? And they used to do a, they, they used to do a running gag on the Simpsons where the a character would call someone and get some hold music and the hold music would always be like really situationally appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> and then Telemachus like shuts his mom down, which I did not dig this moment at all. He's like, you must not criticize the loyal bard. For singing him as it pleases to sing. Do not blame Phemius because he told about the Greek disasters. You must know the newest song is always praised the most. Listen, they're going to listen to Rihanna because it just came out. And I don't care how <laughs> sad dropped. it makes you. Mom, go back to your room. And she's like, ew, my son is a jerk. And she leaves. Um, I think he's kind of a wiener. Yeah, he's he's a wiener, but I think he, we're not. We're supposed to think he's a wiener. I, yeah, we, we are. But like even... So Athena, as Mentes, suggests to Telemachus, like, go and grow up a little bit as oh, you, yeah. like, and, and have adventures, like, asking around about your dad. Like, that's your, <laughs> that's your, like, coming of age thing is, like, to go find your dad's friends and, like, talk to them. Your dad went off to war to kill a bunch of people with a big wood horse. And your adventure is to go and look for your dad. <laughs> Well, but then she then she does say like you heard about how how much everyone liked Orestes when he killed the dude who killed his dad. So like maybe it's it's go out there and talk to your dad's cool friends about killing and how to kill, mm-hmm. and maybe you come back and you kill these fools. Sure, but it does. You're right. It does just like go grab a beer with these guys. And maybe <laughs> maybe you'll know what to do. Uh, I'm not gonna tell you about the plan that I have other than that. Um, so yeah, and then it it ends with what? What does it end with? Um, um, well, so uh, Mentes leaves, but um, 
Telemachus realizes that he's a god. I don't know if he knows that she's Athena specifically, but sure, sure. Um, he as as Athena as Mentes leaves, he comes to this realization, um, and it ends with him like he's he's going to bed and he's planning this journey. Yeah, he's going. He's not going to bed alone. He's going. Sure. He's going to bed with a with a. I I can't tell if he's going to bed with a slave or a girlfriend. A loyal slave went with him. Eurycleia, daughter oh, of yep. Ops or Ops. <laughs> Ops is a weird name. She brought the burning torches. Laertes bought her many years before when she was very young for twenty oxen. He gave her status in the household equal to his own wife, but never slept with her, avoiding bitter feelings in his marriage. She brought the torches now. She was the slave who loved him most since she had cared for him when he was tiny. Entering the room, he sat down on the bed, took off his tunic, and gave it to the vigilant oh. old woman. She smoothed it out and folded it and hung it on a hook beside his wooden okay. bed and left the room. So, so he no, did he's not... not sleeping with this lady. Okay, I misinterpreted knocking, that. He's not knocking boots with this woman. Yeah, this is like his nanny. He's not knocking, knocking boots with his nanny. Um, but even in that passage, you see how Wilson is not shying away from the word slave. Um, I think at, we get at least one use of like houseboy or house girl in this passage as well, mm-hmm. which she talks about as as being pretty deliberate. Even though it does uh, gloss over perhaps some nuance to to sla- like enslaved terminology from the original Greek, but she's doing it for the purposes of getting the point across. So sure. Uh, and Laertes, we should. Uh, he d- plays a relatively minor role in this, but he pops up a few times. He's Odysseus' dad. He's Odysseus' dad. Okay, because yeah. I can only think of the Laertes from Hamlet, who's not the same guy. No, I think we. I think we run into Laertes later, and he's old, but he's still he's still got it. Okay, like he can, <laughs> like the whole family is still is very strong and and blessed by the gods and whatever. So he, now I misspoke earlier. He's not going to meet Agamemnon. He's going to meet Nestor and Menelaus. Right. I don't think he's going to, I think, does he meet anyone else? We'll find out. Uh, I don't, I don't remember that he does. Cause he, his bit of the, I think, I feel like we spend like maybe four or five books with Telemachus and then we, we go back in time to where, Odysseus is like starting out from Troy and and running into all of his obstacles, and then we come back to the present. Okay, yeah, that that um, sounds right. I think the the um, sort of out of time structure of the book, like hopping forward and back, is also was also innovative at the time. Is that a that's a key difference from the Iliad, right? Because the Iliad doesn't jump around like that, right? Yeah, like the Iliad the, the Iliad it, it also starts in medius race, so in the middle of stuff like you are not seeing the beginning of the trojan war but yeah once it starts it proceeds from point a to point b pretty pretty straightforwardly yeah like characters tell stories and stuff but this Mm -hmm. this one hops around um cool that's that's book one i think that's book one that's it so i don't we don't really i feel weird using the regular sign off for this one um is there something from the book that we could use (laughs) I don't know. Get out of my house. Get all right. Thanks everybody for okay, listening. Okay, everybody, get out of my house. Stop eating my food. I don't. That one feels a little negative. We'll work on it. <laughs> can't touch this. Look, man. Can't touch this. You better get a hike, boy, because you know you can't. You can't touch this. Ring the bell. School's back in. Break it down.
So yeah, book two, book three. So when, Craig, where did we leave off in our Odyssey Odyssey? So we learned that um, no one's seen Odysseus except the gods and Circe, right? Yeah. Um, where he, she's he's on the island with her. Yeah. Trapped. Because he made Poseidon mad and he's stuck there and forced to make love to a beautiful woman <laughs> and, uh, for years and years. Athena's like, yo, I that's sad. I like him a lot. We should fix this. Uh, I'm gonna go fix this. And so she goes down and dresses like a bunch of old dudes and talks to Telemachus, uh-huh. uh Odysseus's son. And it's like, you got to kick all these jerks out of your house because they all eat your stuff and your mom won't marry any of them. Yeah. Um, so those are the the suitors. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to help you. Maybe, you know, I'm Athena. Maybe you don't. Let's go party. Right there at the end, I believe she reveals him herself to him. And th- th- that happens a lot in these next two books, too, is Athena just like pops in and out. And sometimes she's an old man and sometimes she's a god. And there's a particular know, there's a particular like a one little... in book four that I want to make book three rather that I want to make sure we we touch on because it's pretty yeah we good. can definitely do that one I think that's the most overt but there's another there's another god moment not Athena but Zeus in book two that I want to talk about oh as sure well, so so book two what it opens and Telemachus calls like a town hall meeting in Ithaca yes. uh huh. Which apparently hasn't happened since Odysseus went away. <laughs> it's been 20 years. <laughs> How does anyone remember what a town hall meeting even is anymore? It's, it was also thousands of years ago. You'd think it would just be new people. Like, people didn't live very long. 20 years is a lot... <laughs> time yeah like you get a it feels like the only times people have died in this has been because of war like odysseus's mm. dad is still kicking around there's that guy who sent one of his sons to troy and his son died but he's still around and the yeah. rest of his sons are eating all of telemachus's stuff like, yes that's true it feels like natural death is not a thing that that is brought up a lot no you either die because a god killed you or because a person killed you or maybe yeah. because a god dressed as a person. <laughs> I think every once in a while someone dies because their son died and they got really sad. Sure. That's more of an Iliad thing, I think. Um, mm. So he calls a town hall meeting to complain about the dudes in his house. Again. Again. <laughs> and we talked a little bit last time about how I think Telemachus is a little bit of a whiny whiner, and I'm not super impressed by him. And I really think that's driven home by a couple passages in book two really? here. Because I think what I what I was struck by in this one, I wasn't struck by him as a whiner. I got a sense that he just was like out of options and just couldn't control himself. Kind of, because he says stuff like, I cannot fight against them. I would be useless. I have had no training. Uh, but never mind, friends, leave me be and let me cry and suffer by myself. Yeah. But now you make me so unhappy. This is pointless. He stopped frustrated, <laughs> flung the scepter down and burst out crying like our hero, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, man. <laughs> a a crybaby scepter thrower. <laughs> well, the talking stick is very important. And that's true. He yeah, he had the conch. conch yeah. Conch. Um, but this is this is. I think he really loses it after is it after one of them um is like yo your mom's been playing us 
Yeah, I think so. So talk a little bit about that section because I kind of this this is our like it's not a first hand look at Penelope, but it's our first look at her like machinations and how she's putting all these hungry, hungry dudes off. <laughs> so oh, so you're right. So after he smashes the scepter because he started crying too hard, um, <laughs> and Antinous or Antinous, 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 okay. Which one, there's a lot of those A names. Which one are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, we're talking about the same yeah, in, guy. In Antinous, yeah. Okay. Um, or Antinous. Yeah, Antinous. Let's say Antinous. Okay, let's. Um, or Antinous. He calls Telemachus a stuck-up, willful little boy and then says, uh, it's not our fault your mom is cunning. And I, I bookmarked that word because they often refer to his Odysseus as like the clever, he's the clever one. Um, so I was struck by just even right now as we're talking about Penelope that she also gets to to have a similar adjective. Um, yeah, and and Wilson talked a little bit in her intro about the trouble of like gendered mm-hmm. verbs and and adjectives as as applies to Penelope. So that's a, yeah, that's a good thing to keep an eye out as um, we go. And it's uh, it's been three years, and soon it will be the fourth year that she is cheated us of what we want which is her (laughs) um and she like sends them notes um but she's got this trick she has this loom um where she's i think working on odysseus's dad's death shroud yes right and uh again people don't die from any from old age so he's still here um and just let me finish it and then i'll marry one of you uh, but apparently she has been unwinding it at night. Yeah, and that for three years it fools them. They need somebody to tell them that she's doing it before they notice, which makes me wonder, like, maybe she's right not to want to marry any of well, these guys. Well, they're sitting around getting like drunk on pork. All like they talk. Okay, here's a question because Telemachus okay. is like, you're you're around eating all my dad's goats, like. These are not the goats that Odysseus knew. They're like the spawn of his goats, right? Like I mean, they still belong to him in the sense that like the household and everything belongs to him, right? Yeah, but they're like these are new goats. Like he didn't have I, mean, I guess a, a, I don't think they're eating old goats. But he didn't <laughs> like goats don't live that long. He didn't have a closet full of goats and these guys are just like winding down his I don't, store. Sure. But they are I, I guess you're right, but what they are what eating his point? goats faster than they can be replaced. I think they're the yeah, they're eating his estate. <laughs> yes. Um but anyway, Penelope has been tricking them. They've found out. So I think they're like that's a thing I always I, I forget when I when I forget about this little anecdote because I wonder why this has reached a tipping point, you know? Um Aside from Athena, like egging things on, it sounds like the suitors are getting madder than they've been. Yeah, like I think it's a it's a confluence of a lot of things, right? It's like twenty is a nice round number, and that's how sure, many years it's sure. been since Odysseus, Odysseus left. Um, Telemachus is coming of age. The suitors are getting more impatient. Like it's just a bunch of a bunch of things overlapping that hadn't overlapped before, I guess. And their their demands are like go like kick. Like, just make her do it. <laughs> like, go to her dad and tell him to make her marry one of us 
and we'll stop eating all your stuff. Right. Um, and he like this. There was a passage. Uh, this is a la- around like line one thirty ish of mm-hmm. of uh, Wilson's translation, where I was just again. I'm gonna continually nerd out about the meter of this tra- of this translation. That's fine because yeah, I I am coming at this from the classics major perspective, so I know all the story stuff, but I know nothing about the meter stuff. Well, so, so like uh, we mentioned the first episode, she did this all in iambic pentameter, which if you've studied Shakespeare or read Shakespeare, you might be familiar with. It's the um, best of the pentameters. Yeah, and of course... Um, How many pentameters? <laughs> anything that has five poetic feet is in pentameter, Andrew. Okay. Um, and whenever... I only have two poetic feet. Oh, God. <laughs> not talk about your feet for a whole podcast um when it has been zero days since the last incident when you mix up the meter that is usually you know in shakespeare's time that's an indication of like an acting choice that might be available to you a character is is breaking the general rhythm of the poetry for some reason um which is obviously helpful for actors like putting up plays very quickly uh so my ear is really tuned to that kind of thing so when telemachus is telling them that he can't just like kick her out of his house um he is saying if i insist my mother has to leave uh carius will make me pay the price and gods will send more trouble if she goes mother will rouse up furies like mother starting a line with that stress kind of breaks the flow with furies full of hate to take revenge and everyone will curse me i will not if you feel up like i can't read it on the normal rhythm i i will not if you feel upset you go like that sounds goofy so mm-hmm. I will not. If you feel upset, you go. Like the whole meter just breaks as Telemachus is like losing it and shouting at these dudes. Um, That's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah I like that a lot. It's it's little stuff like that that a is is just a, an impressive work of of Wilson's and also kind of lets you in on what's going on with the which that I think that was the moment where I was like, mm, okay, Telemachus, I'm with you, like. You just these guys do really suck, and I do, yeah. I know you're whiny, but like, what else are you gonna do? Yeah, because yeah, he is he is untrained, he's untried, he's still a boy in a lot of ways, and even if he was like a big hero man, what is he gonna do against however many guys this is? It's ne- it's never clear. I don't think exactly how many suitors there are. They're just, just like this too big, many. <laughs> they're this big roving hungry mob of dudes. Yeah. Um, so then we get to this God moment that you wanted to talk man, about. Man, I love this a lot. Okay, so the first thing is, okay, so Zeus, whose voice resounds around the world. It's good, a good epithet. Um, he sent down two eagles from the mountain peak. At first, they hovered on the breath of wind close by each other, balanced on their wings. Reaching the noisy middle of the crowd, they wheeled and whirred and flapped their mighty wings, swooping at each man's head with eyes like death and with their talons ripped each face and neck. Then to the right, they flew across the town. Everyone was astonished at the sight. They wondered in their hearts what this could mean. So, <laughs> like, that's pretty cool. God, The god sends eagles down to like rip at people's faces and necks and like fly around and everyone's like wow what does this mean and then an old man named Halitherses says hey this is that Odysseus is coming back like obviously this is an omen from the gods and beware all y'all suitors and then Eurymachus 
says, old man, be off. Go home and spout your portents to your children or it will be worse for them. But I can read these omens better than you can. Many birds go flying in sunlight and not all are meaningful. Like, oh, these are just man. birds. He's like, well, this. <laughs> I know they flew and they ran everybody's heads and necks and whatever. But sometimes birds are just birds. Sometimes birds are birds. And I want to eat all this free meat. Well, so and also, go home, old man. So this gets to something we'll, I want to revisit when we talk about book three because... Uh, dishonorable people or immorally bad people in the world of Homer are those who ignore the gods, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's it's interesting because Odysseus does his share of making gods mad, and gods can be pretty, uh, pretty um, man. What's the word I want? Like inconsistent. Yeah, in who they give their graces yes. to. Yeah, fickle. There you go. Um, um, but I also but yeah. The, the easiest way for Homer to let us know we're not supposed to like somebody is for them to not spend half a day sacrificing <laughs> stuff to the gods. Yeah, and then like I I don't remember which one it is. If it's Eurymachus or if it's Le- like Eurymachus threatens to just beat up the old dude with the prophecy, and then later Leocritus is like what even if Odysseus does come back she wouldn't want him and we'd kill him so everyone just shut up like, <laughs> these dudes do really suck yeah. it's it's I understand but again like you're right you said earlier like Telemachus he is not trained he can't take these guys on in a fist fight like that would be another version of the Odyssey where like it opens with him like trying to fight them and failing and getting his butt kicked yeah, it'd be a good like Batman beginning of Batman kind of montage. Um, Except instead of his parents dying, one is always unweaving a loom, and one is trapped on an island. Yeah, uh, Athena's just uh, Alfred. I mean, if from from not lying, that's no, true. If right? if Alfred could, well, I mean, I guess he's already an old man. What if? Uh, and what that's if a lot of is what, Athena though? Whoa. Think about it. Batman's we blew it wide like open. Can you do a Michael 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 Caine, <laughs> the great eyed goddess? Um, why do we get up, oh, Master Telemachus? Uh, so then his plan is where he's gonna go. He's just gonna go. He's not gonna go find his dad, right? Well, he's gonna he. So I don't remember if Athena tells him to do that. I think I think it is Athena who tells him. Go find your dad's friends mm-hmm. and both ask about your dad and just like go and show your face around and in so doing, like make a name for yourself. Just like get That's yourself right. out there, build your brand, Telemachus. <laughs> yes, which Athena does by also pretending to be Telemachus to recruit a bunch of dudes for his boat. Which I don't know how I feel about that. If I'm kind of sending uh, some uh, mixed messages a little, about some a little bit. Now, on the other hand, we do get um, throughout books two and three at least two different instances of him being described as godlike, and yeah. you'll find that mm-hmm. applied to Odysseus and to uh, I think Laertes, Odysseus's dad. Interesting, as well. and that's just it's a thing to to look out for because it's another way that Homer tells us, oh hey, this guy, this guy's all right. Yeah, he's a good person, even if he not only is he respectful people. of the gods, but he is sort of godlike himself. Sure, sure. There are also a couple references to people just like oiling themselves up and very <laughs> all oily. These, all these greasy men. Like, well, but think Greece, about it. They didn't Greece have, must have like, been the pits. They didn't have like Neutrogena or Clearasil or like 
even soap, right? Like, bo- like I guess body olive wash. oil is just night cream and day cream. Yeah, it's just Axe body wash for Greek dudes. Double pits to chesty. <laughs> <laughs> there is a beat at the end of this book where he like goes to his nanny, is like, hey, nanny, give me the second best wine um, that I can take on my journey because you got to save the good wine for when my dad comes home. Also, don't tell my mom that I'm leaving. Like, tell her in 12 days when it, she won't be as sad. <laughs> I don't really get that plan. I get, like, she'll feel less like there's a way for her to go after him or something. I think so. I also, like, a bunch or of maybe people it's in just town like, know what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they only have a town meeting, like, once every 20 years. That's it's not true. a very productive <laughs> community, I don't think. Sure, sure. Maybe it's just that Penelope will be like, well, I didn't notice he was gone after 12 days so maybe i just don't miss him that much i think that is actually the plan for sure um so yeah and then he sets sail he's got athena in his boat and he's got uh and some other dudes a bunch of dudes who are who like him i suppose i you know they're not yeah, described like as like his pals or his peers or anything i mean he is like the son of yeah. the king of ithaca they're just so. kind of his his people and it's a it's I guess it's more of the Telemachus brand building tour is just to have him be in charge of some folks. Yeah, um, true. So yeah, he's gonna he's gonna go to talk to Nestor, Lord of Horses. Yeah, Nestor, Lord of Her- Lord of Horses. Um, Lord of Horses. The book three opens. Um, book three is called "An Old King Remembers," and book three opens with an epithet for Poseidon that I didn't know he had. Andrew. Okay, Okay. Um, we open with you know we're talking about the sun. We're going to Pylos, where Nestor lives, and the all the Pylians are like dragging a bunch of bulls to the beach to sacrifice them for Poseidon, Lord of Earthquakes. Uh huh. I don't think I knew he was the Lord of Earthquakes. Well, I mean, think about it. What is it? Okay, so what's a what's a tsunami? Oh, an underwater earthquake. Did I just blow your mind? You did a little bit. Yeah. So I was, and I went, I looked up Poseidon because I thought he might have like a bunch of other fun stuff he was the god of. And no, it's really just the sea and other waters, earthquakes, and horses. <laughs> which it's a pretty good grab bag. I mean, that's good, some good stuff. Which, I mean, I'd feel like the horse part of it doesn't really go with the rest of it. <laughs> but, um, which he is Zeus and Hades' brother. Uh-huh. They were the sons of Cronus, the Titan. Yeah. Um. And Zeus got the sky, and Hades got the underworld. And uh-huh. Poseidon was like, "I'm cool out here." Got the in between. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um. His son. And I can never ever in any piece of media ever read about Poseidon and not picture King Triton from The Little Mermaid. <laughs> so like mm-hmm. that's just. What Poseidon looks like to me. Yep. Looks like King Triton from Little Mermaid. Uh, His son Theseus was the king of Athens. He's responsible for the Minotaur, Andrew, because apparently Mm -hmm. King Minos uh, asked Poseidon for a bull, and then he was supposed to sacrifice it and didn't. So Poseidon was like, hey, Aphrodite, can you make this guy's wife fall in love with a bull? And she did. And then they had sex, I guess, and made the Minotaur. Yeah, Greek myth is pretty wild. That's a, like the <laughs> you get a lot of mentions of these of these characters, but it's all like 
I don't know, like you have to go read more stuff to like get the full picture. It's all these like bonkers interconnected myths. Well, and yeah, and we've wild. also got like millennia of scholarship that sort of makes it feel like it's all part of the cinematic universe. Right, but yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I bet there's more disagreement than we actually have access to. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a note that like maybe Poseidon uh, was lovers with Achilles' best boy Patroclus. But sure. they think that might just be like the error of one Roman scholar. Like we don't really know anything. Maybe it was just slash fic. <laughs> Roman slash Roman fic. Slash fic. Um, and I was looking this <laughs> do up. Do you too. think we could get? Do you think we could get Jesus of Nazareth in <gasps> the HCU? Oh, I bet we could. Given Which the one would it be? Cinematic universe. Hmm. Hmm. Keep an eye out for it. I did mm-hmm. also just look up that. Um, I just went on a little Poseidon trip. Um, a Poseidon adventure. Oh, I hate you so much. <laughs> that uh, like a lot of uh, myth research, you know, people, myth scholars. That's not some. There's a better word for it. Mythbusters. Yeah. That they think he joined like the pantheon of, of Greek myth. Um somewhere around when the Greeks started being a seafaring culture and they might have adopted this like aristocratic horse god from another nearby like Indo-European culture um, or yeah so I mean that happened a lot for both the Greeks and the Romans yeah, sure. um, and then and, and when the Roman Empire sort of absorbed the Greeks and their culture there was a lot of like mapping of yes greek religion to roman religion just to just to make the assimilation process go more easily so and and then the same thing happened in the transition from paganism to christianity so yeah that's a that's a pretty long-standing cultural absorption slash appropriation yeah and, and i just find it interesting that it's tied to technology too so like okay we're out on the seas gotta make sure we have our sea god in check um, or there's there's other scholarship that suggests it was when like the horse and the war chariot were introduced to Greece. Like we gotta have our horse guy like to pray so that the horses don't mess up. Uh, it's all it's like very every time important. you invent something, you have to make sure there's a god you can <laughs> god pray to so nothing goes god wrong for it. Yeah. Um, so okay, so Telemachus is in Pylos. He's talking to Nestor. Who is Nestor, Andrew? Nestor is one of the one of the guys who went off to the Trojan War with all the all the guys with Odysseus and everybody. Yes, he is wicked old. Like he, he is very old. His yeah. whole job at at the Iliad was to tell people stories and give advice. He is the one who told Patroclus to wear the armor mm-hmm. that got him killed. Yeah, to wear Achilles' armor. So even though it did initially, it initially went pretty well for everybody. But then, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And apparently, and this not- is. Yeah, go ahead. No, sorry. <laughs> I just got all these cool Nestor facts. I'm like, no, go, apparently, go, go with your Nestor facts. Apparently in 1939, we found Nestor's house. Like, it's a real really? building. <laughs> oh, neat. And it's, you know, it's in Greece somewhere. And there's a hmm. bathtub. There's a, there's a <laughs> Nestor. I don't think it was, um, we don't know if it was Nestor's bathtub. I just say like Nestor was here <laughs> in it or something. Like, <laughs> But that's one of those things where it, it's always the... You go far back enough, and what is history and what is a dude telling a story gets a little fuzzy. Right, yeah. Well, and and the Odyssey isn't like uh, the Aeneid, which is just literally state propaganda yeah, in the sure, form sure. of an epic poem. But you do have to kind of wonder, okay, like who is who is being flattered with this like self insertion myth yes, stuff true. in real life? True. 
Um, but yeah, this is so in this book you get, I think the closest you get through most of the book to getting just kind of an info dump about the, the first movie, if you didn't see it. (laughs) So you get, yeah, you, um, our best warriors were killed. Ajax lies dead there and there lies Achilles. There lies this God, like friend and guide Patroclus. My own strong matchless son lies dead there too. Antilochus who fought and ran so well, more pain, more grief. Our sufferings increase. Who could recount so many, many losses. If you stayed here five years and kept on asking how many things the fighters suffered there, you would get bored and go back home again before the story ended. Nine long years. We schemed to bring them down. And finally Zeus made our plot succeed. Odysseus, your father, if you really are his son, well, no one dared to try to equal him in cleverness. That man was always best at every kind of trick and seeing you, I'm amazed at how you talk like him. One would not think so young a man could do it. So that's, so, yeah, they're, they're eating th- bull and Nestor's <laughs> telling him about what happened. And it's, and it also is just kind of driving home. I just, I again just feel like Telemachus isn't being asked to do all that much to, sure. to live up to his dad's reputation. Like the, the, the praise of Telemachus that Nestor gives is pretty much, like you could pretty much just say, "Well, listen to you," and that's how, you, like, that sums it up. It's well, like, "Wow, you sound you sound like a good boy." Yeah, and I don't really buy that. I don't know that there's anything Telemachus says that like convinces me that he's like a cool speaker because they're getting off the boat and Athena is dressed as an old dude named Mentor, um, which is where we get the word mentor from. And he says, I am quite experienced at inexperienced at making speeches. And as a young man, I feel awkward talking to elders. Same Telemachus. Yeah, (laughs) same. (laughs) Uh, And meanwhile, he meets this old guy who's like, you know what? You got you got the stuff, kid. You got it. I can see it in you. Um, I don't know art, but I know what I like. Yeah. So like the the whole crew, the Ocean's Eleven crew from Troy broke up. Um, cause they weren't really sure how to reappease, how to appease Athena, who I guess was pissed at them for how the war went down. I think it had to do with maybe how Hector was treated. I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't remember exactly who was on whose side in that thing, but yeah, they, so they, they throw down Troy, they do the whole Trojan horse thing and they sack the city and they take all the treasures and the women, yep. as is pointed out a couple times in this book. Yep. And then they all kind of get ripped asunder from there and they all they all take different routes and different amounts of time to get home and that part of that's part of another part of why this is happening now is that you get the impression that some of these folks have not been home for all that long that's true that's a good point yeah because a lot of this a lot of what's being like conveyed is apparently news to the people who are hearing it yeah so like i think it was agamemnon wanted to stay behind and pray to athena and try to make things good. And Menelaus and Nestor were like, no, we're outie. Let's go. Um, and people don't really know what happened to Odysseus. Um, and then we move into this section where, like, Nestor... Well, no, Telemachus is like, hey, can you just, like, tell me what happened to Agamemnon? And, and I was... I don't... I did not remember that this is, like, a whole part here. Um that we get the like summary version of some Euripides plays where <laughs> Nestor's like, yo, Agamemnon was at the war and this jerk Augustus, Ag- it's like Augustus. It just this. It just this. Uh, Something like that. I am again, I'm going off of my 
twelve year old memory sure. of how these things were pronounced in the classes I took in school. I just so. started macking on Clytemnestra, and Clytemnestra. He shouldn't have, but they killed Agamemnon so they could be together. And then Orestes, their uh, Agamemnon's son, was like, "Yo, I'm gonna kill you too." And then Menelaus had to save Orestes. Um, and I was, uh, as I was reading it, I, I was like, why is this here? There's a little bit of, yo, Telemachus, you got to go back. At, you got to deal with those suitors because if you're away too long, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, kind of like this Agamemnon story. But then I was remi- I was like doing some research on it, and I totally remembered that literally two books ago, the whole freaking story opens with Zeus being like, I don't know why Aegisthus did that. We told him not to. I set Hermes to say, like, st- leave Clytemnestra alone, and he did it anyway, and I don't know why the gods, why all these humans say everything's our fault, <laughs> because yeah, we right. tell them not to do stupid <laughs> stuff, and they do and it. And then they go do it anyway. And, and then they the, kill yeah, each other. A, there is quite a bit of that involved in Odysseus's story as well, but yeah, it's, it's part that, like, light serialization, and also part just always be thinking about how this is orally performed and mm-hmm. you wouldn't have heard the whole thing at once. And so you you got to have little like episodes within episodes. So true, you always true. come away having heard like a full story. Um, and then I guess yeah, and also just build, just build my HCU out. Yeah, that's true. You got to flesh out the universe so that you can sell more toys. Um, and then we get like a little bit of, Hey, here's what Menelaus was up to. There was this beat. Okay, let me see if I can find this moment. That this is a weird way to describe what happened. So, okay. uh, Nestor is talking about leaving Troy. He says, "And meanwhile, I left Troy with Menelaus. We sailed together, best of friends. We reached <laughs> we reached the holy cape of Athens. Uh, so union there, Phoebus with his gentle arrows shot and killed the pilot." Frontus as he held the ship's helm as she sped along. Phoebus is the son. So the son killed a guy on our trip. What? I mean it's a it's Apollo. Phoebus is in the chariot like pulling the sun though, right? I think that's one of the things he does. I think why was why did he just kill a dude? And I think like why gentle, does anybody do anything? I think like gentle arrows <laughs> is like sun rays. Like he's just like maybe he just died of. It's a weird way to say someone died of exposure. It's I think. yeah. It's it's weird because sometimes the gods are acting in metaphor, and then sometimes they literally send eagles down to tear your face <laughs> off. So it's like hard to say really what they did to Apollo. Like if they just didn't sacrifice enough bulls to him, or or they were insufficiently. Very bizarre. Impressed by the sun. Like, maybe they just got really bad sunburn, and that's what his arrows are. I don't know. I don't know. Um, So this wraps, and then we get to this next god moment. So, like, Nestor's like, cool, cool, cool. I'm going to give you some horses so you can go visit Menelaus. He doesn't lie. He's going to tell you about your dad. It's going to be sweet. Um, And he's like, oh. That's that's used to describe Nestor, too. He he doesn't lie. Yes. Okay, sure. Like, what is it about? What what is it about this rough and tumble world where, like, (laughs) not lying is the first thing that someone tells you about someone else? I also, well, it's always when you're sending someone to go meet. Hey, Andrew, I know a guy. 
Mm-hmm. He lives down the street, and he has what you need. He doesn't lie. Though I guess, like, so if I am recommending, like, a roofer to you or something. Oh, sure. That would actually be, Craig, here's this roofer that I use. He doesn't lie. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be, it would make sense, because you would really want to know. That's true. And in ancient Greece, like, you got, it's tough to find a good roofer, you know? Yeah, probably. Um so like Nestor you can't get up on a roof without getting shot by the sun god apparently. <laughs> so Nestor wants to take care of Telemachus, and he's inviting Mentor slash Athena to stay. And then what happens, Andrew? Um, doesn't Athena just basically run off into the sky? <laughs> yeah. It's she she gives this speech where she's like, No, let Telemachus sleep in your house. That's cool. Um but I'm gonna stay with the boat and like tell everybody what's going on so that no one's worried. Um here's here's what she says. Um the boy can be your guest, then send him off, escorted by your son, give him a carriage, drawn by your strongest and most nimble horses. Bright-eyed Athena flew away, transformed into an ossifrage. Astonishment seized all the people watching, even Nestor. He seized Telemachus' hand and said, Dear boy, I am now sure that you will be a hero since the gods are on your side uh, at your young age. This was a god, none other than great Athena, true-born child of Zeus. Um, yeah, she t- I thought she was going to keep being Alfred for a little bit longer, and she turned into a sea eagle. I think, yeah, the the way to make Greeks worship you is just to remind just to remind them to keep their head on a swivel <laughs> because any old man could just be a god. That would make I know, like <laughs> it's tough enough to just be like to just keep your heart open to people in the world because you never know what people you know, who needs your help or whatever. But to like also need to be secret worried about secret gods? Like what if that person who I accidentally cut off in the parking lot was was Zeus? <laughs> and now I'm a plant. Like he just and now, made me and a now plant. They're, just... And now there are eagles chasing my car. Like this sucks. Not again. <laughs> and then what what I think then we just kind of chill for the rest of this book, right, Andrew? Is anything else? Yeah, major it's, it's a lot of um, it's so it's talking, uh, dear sons. Now hurry up, fulfill my wishes. First, we must appease Athena, who revealed herself to me during the holy feast. Now, one of you must run down to the fields to choose a cow. Let herdsmen drive her back here, and another go to Telemachus' ship and bring the men. Leave only two behind. And it goes on, and it describes in a fair amount of detail the process of sacrificing a bull. So it's. You basically take like the best parts and a bunch of the blood and you sacrifice that and then you split the rest and eat it. Yes. That you do also pour gold all over the horns of the cow. Yeah, like that's a special thing that they did uh, for Athena is they gild the horns of this of this cow that they eat. That's a special day for the goldsmith, right though? Like Yeah. Most like, of the day you're just making coins and then today If that, yeah. Today I got I gotta gild a gild a cow. I'm gonna what is <laughs> it's like gold you're just gonna fondue a cow in gold today mm-hmm. it's my lucky day um <laughs> well i guess that also in i was wondering as i was reading it like 
you said earlier, you know, you're reminded of this as an oral history, like who is being served by some of these stories is, is always worth considering. Um, and sections like this, just like there is just, if you, hey, listener, you should revere the gods. Here's a way to do it. Here's how, yeah. Like it's like a recipe for. It's a manual for <laughs> revering the gods. Yeah, so this, so this book is, okay, so the things that are happening. Yes. Telemachus still going. Yep. Good at talking. A good talking boy. And to return to that for just a sec, like, I guess just because he seems to know the forms, like, again, keeping in mind that this is an oral thing, I think just, like, knowing how to talk good might be a sign of your, like, lineage or your, like, how you carry yourself or whatever. Just yes. trying to keep always trying to keep the context in mind so okay telemachus good boy uh nestor old knows a lot of stuff recaps the iliad for us yes um and then athena is like hey bye and then (laughs) we see how a cow is sacrificed yeah does i think do they get on does he get on the chariot to go see Menelaus at the end. Yeah, they get they get back on the road. When Rosy Fingered Dawn came bright and early, they yoked the horses to the painted carriage and drove out from the gate and echoing porch at a light touch of whip, the horses flew. Swiftly they drew toward their journey's end, on through the fields of wheat until the sun began to set and shadows filled the streets. Sure, 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 sure. I do so we're on, I think we're with Telemachus chilling for at least another book, maybe two. Yeah, because he's gonna go to talk to Menelaus, and what I don't remember is if that like Scooby Doo's over to Odysseus's story, <laughs> or if Telemachus like goes home first. That I don't remember, so we'll, we'll find yeah, out. Yeah, I, I don't remember either. My my, I I believe that when we get caught up to the present day with because when we hit Odysseus, we go back to. Just after the war ended. Yes, yes. And then the middle of the book is catching us up to present day. And then I think by the time we're caught up with Odysseus, we might go back to Telemachus, who then has to go home. There, there's a whole, there's a whole thing. Okay. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm more on board as I, I said at the top of the episode. I'm more on board with Telemachus than in book one, because like. You really just wish he would just do something about those suitors. And I've booked two, like, you actually hear from them and they're big jerks and what's he going to do? Yeah, it kind of outlines, like, reasons why he wouldn't. I I still think he's a, <laughs> a bit of a soft a soft boy. but um, He's a godlike boy. Godlike Telemachus the boy. He's a godlike crybaby scepter throwing boy. Yeah, true. Um, but again, like the gods don't always seem like paragons of maturity and wisdom. So nope, not at all. We <laughs> and I guess like Poseidon. I sp- I talked about him before because I know he does factor a lot into uh, the rest of the book, and in particular Odysseus's journey. And this, in particular, book three, kind of lays a lot of like, yo, we gotta we gotta appease Poseidon. We gotta kill and eat these bulls. And do it right so that we can tell stories while we yeah. like make a Poseidon happy. Poseidon is a messy bench who <laughs> loves trauma <laughs> and you just gotta <laughs> appease him. So yeah, that's we'll find out what happens next time, I suppose. Yeah, next time when we hit book four of the Odyssey. I'm enjoying reading this again. Yeah, I really, it's really fun. 
I was hoping I would have fun coming back to it. And I still like apparently reading something like three or four times over the course of four years will drill parts of it into your memory. So I am I am enjoying being like up on it. Like I (laughs) I kind of know what to be looking for and I can speak with some small measure of authority about some of the stuff that we ought to be keeping our eyes open for. So cool. that's, that's kind of fun. That's not a position that I'm in on the normal show. Yeah. Usually. That's, that's what's fun about this project is like different types of research processing, different levels of information than we usually have time for. Well, I like that. I show. really like that you're coming at it from the, from the, like the poetry of it, the trying to, of it. trying yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. It, again, like we, <laughs> we did a lot of fawning, uh, in the first episode about the translation, and I, I don't think keep it's, it up. I don't yeah. think it's ever gonna stop. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> um, it, yeah, and just like I really also like the phrase "rosy fingered dawn." I have it's it's a really good image, and it's I've seen it across multiple translations. It's very effective. Yeah. Um, all right, the last stop, Homer time. We're gonna stop now. Homer time. <laughs> hey. Um. I don't so I still don't know how outros for this are, are gonna work. I guess just twitter.com slash overdue pod, uh Facebook.com slash overdue pod are our social feeds and uh overduepodcast.com is our website. If you're hearing this early, it's because you give to us via our Patreon project. That's patreon.com slash overdue pod at the ten dollar level or above. Um we love you guys. Extra, just a little bit extra. We love everybody who downloads and listens to the show, but you guys just just a little bit more, just a tiny bit more. We would not have um, pushed ourselves to do something like this if if we didn't have your support. Is basically yeah. what Andrew's saying. It's yeah, that is the uh, kind way to to <laughs> say the that he loves that you more. I'm saying. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and if you're hearing this on the on the regular feed, you will get a new episode. In um, uh, July, I guess. So we're, we're going to be releasing these on the months where we don't release a normal bonus episode. Yeah, that's the plan. Yeah. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, let us know if you have feedback. We'll kind of be getting delayed feedback on this one, but we're going to be doing this for a while. So if you like or don't like things that we're doing, please uh, please just let us know. That's that's the conclusion of this episode. Of All right, Stop there we go. Overtime. Oh, Craig! Oh no, you're turning into a bird and flying into the sky. Oh, <laughs> you're you're a god the whole time, Master Wayne. <laughs> Gosh. Break it down. Hammer time.